0: Good morning everybody. My name is Taylor McClure. Today we'll be reading from James chapter 1 verses 19 through 27. If you're using our Pew Bibles, it is on page 1113. I'll give you a moment to get there. When I first started attending here, my buddy T-Sax would say grab your Bibles, turn to the page, and when you're there say "Thanks be to God" and then he'd start reading and I wouldn't even be close. So I will give you a moment. All righty, praise be to God. (laughs) Hearing and doing the word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Westside. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good, good. Man, isn't it just like I I think I would go to this church if I wasn't even the pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like I talk to guys sometimes and I'm like, dude. I don't even know if you'd go to that church, man, but you're there because you're, we just have fun, man, and just joy in the Lord, and I'm so thankful for that. Hey, thanks uh, for praying for the leadership and everybody that went down to Atlanta to the summit for our Grace Family of Churches. Um, The Lord did things that I believe will continually be in works that you, the congregation, will see the fruits of for years to come. And so thanks for praying for us. We were off for a week, and so I get to preach twice as long today because there was, I'm kidding, right? I'm just kidding. Hey, we are finalizing in our Dwell series, and this series has been very near and dear to my heart. Um, One of the um, convictions that really propelled me into pastoral ministry was this idea of biblical illiteracy. But, but, in a unique way, biblical illiteracy in a context and community that is saturated in the traditions of the Bible. and even here in the West, where each house on average has three to four copies of the Bible. And what we've done is this word has directed our entire year. This is our word for the year to dwell with God through his word. And I told you that this word is going to shape us so much that it's actually going to shape the rest of the calendar year as it pertains to the sermon series. And so we indwell this week And next week, we start a brand new book of the Bible, the book of Jude. And um, it's a super weird uh, New Testament book, Fight for the Faith. Um, You got to just throw Muhammad Ali on there. That's just cool, okay? But um, what we're going to do is, as we start a book of the Bible all through that series, we're going to have a dwell verse. That's going to be like the key theme of that series. And we're going to say that together and memorize that together. So listen, this isn't just a one-off series. This is something that's going to direct us for the rest of the year as we learn to dwell in God's word. But hey, maybe just a little bit of review. Maybe you've been in and out and caught some sermons online. But um, our theme as to where this comes from is Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this with me. You're in the sermon now. Ready, set, go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. So as you can see, there's a reason why this word is directing us for the year, because we want to be this church. Man, what a snapshot of a New Testament church. And everything else in this verse is a result of letting the word of Christ dwell in us, to abide in it, to saturate in the scriptures. And and what we did is we broke this down in three categories. It was to meditate on the word of God, to memorize the word of God, and then this week to be mobilized in the word of God. But here's what we said. We said that disciples are developed by dwelling in God's word. That we don't have to focus on growth in our relationship with Jesus. And I know you might say, that sounds really odd because every disciple that I talk to wants to grow. That's great, but listen to me growth is a byproduct of health. And how are we healthy? Well, it's the same way we take care of our bodies with the food we eat and exercise and all of these things. God's word is the food that sustains us. So we are developed by dwelling on God's word. The second thing is this. Christians move from infancy to maturity by meditating on the word of God. That is a game-changing key factor. Not just highlighting verses, but letting verses highlight you. Not just reading the Bible, but reading it in such a way that the Bible reads you. To meditate and to marinate and to soak In the word of God. And we said this is what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is the process of filling our mind, okay? We're not talking about Eastern meditation here. Home or any of that stuff, right? We are not trying to empty our mind. We are trying to fill our mind with God's word, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to fill it with God's word and then focusing on it with our heart. That when we meditate on it in our mind, that's why we have the dwell app. That's why we've got the Bible reading plans. It's just each day finding what I like to call that golden nugget. And just take it with you throughout the day. It's a word. It's a phrase. And then when you meditate on it in your mind, something changes when it drops down into your heart. And the last thing we said is this. The memorization of scripture is mandatory for survival. It is not optional. It is essential. And we even saw this in our Lord's life when he battles the enemy in the wilderness for the 40 days that Jesus had no scroll, he had no Bible app, none of that. But he quotes that as the psalmist said, I will never forget your word. That it's not optional, but it's essential. And so today, really, everything else, everything else, Has been leading to today. Um, When we went over memorization, we passed out a covenant for you, just to just to make a plan, just to say, God, I feel that you are leading me to memorize. I personally am focusing on Romans chapter eight. That just that entire chapter is something that is just God's just drawn me to it. That that I am that that you've led me to memorize this scripture, and then we said this by this date. And then just this idea to put that somewhere and to focus. But all of that has been leading here. Because um, there is a dangerous thing if we would have ended the series last week. With just meditate and memorize and read and just stop there. And, and, and maybe this illustration will help. Um, years ago, I heard a pastor tell a story And the story went like this, that there was a small town country church that was looking for a pastor. And so they knew someone who knew someone's cousin who does some part-time farming, who does a little preaching. And so they asked him to come and to preach on a Sunday. And he preached a wonderful sermon on forgiveness. And the congregation was very moved by that. But more than that, they thought, you know, we would love for this guy to be our pastor And so um, back in the day, you would preach in view of a calling. And so they had him come preach again to be the pastor. And as the sermon started, it sounded very familiar. And then about 10 minutes in, the congregation looked at each other and they thought, huh, this... This is the same sermon as, as last week. And, and sure enough, he preaches on forgiveness again. And, and they thought, well, well, maybe he was nervous. And, and so they voted on him to be pastor. And, and they just thought that was great. And so they set everything up that week. They thought it was a little bit odd, but everything was good. And, and so here's his first Sunday. As, the, as you know, the first time being pastor of this congregation. And, and he says, open up your Bibles. And it's the same passage again. And I mean, he's two lines into the sermon, and, and now the deacons are sitting up. You know, they're real, whoa, 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 right? And so they're looking at each other, and then finally they kind of nudge, you know, the chairman of the deacons to go first. And, and directly after the sermon, the, the chairman of the deacons met him out in the lobby and said, hey, 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 what's going on? What's going on? That's, that's the third time you've preached that, that message on forgiveness. What's going on? And, and the pastor looked at him and said, yeah, who have you forgiven? And the deacon, oh, 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 well, you know, we hired you. When, when, when are you going to preach a new sermon? And, and the pastor said, when you've obeyed the last one. Amen. And um, I think that's a great illustration as to the thrust and really, the heartbeat behind this series is that the Bible doesn't just talk about, mem- I've hid thy word in thy heart that I might not sin against thee. It's the Bible doesn't just say these things for the sake of saying them. If you even saw it in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the very next phrase is teaching one another. There's an application. There's an overflow. There is an effect when that happens. And in James chapter 1, nobody says it as clearly as James. Now, um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, which is really interesting when you look at it, half brother, because Jesus was a part of the immaculate conception, right? He has no earthly father, but a heavenly father. And we know throughout church history and the scriptures that James at one point during the early church doubted Jesus to be God. Yeah, because it's his brother, okay? Um, By the way, I think that's a great apologetic for Christianity. I'm the youngest of four boys, and it would take an act of God for them to worship me as God, okay? Um, But James is considered wisdom literature, right? It doesn't read like the rest of the New Testament. It is sharp, and it is to the point, and it has a very proverbial, like the book of Proverbs, cadence to it. But in James chapter 1, he really gives the thesis um, that uh, this verse is anchored around all the other verses. This is what James is saying in these verses, and then everything else flows from it. James chapter 1, he says this in verse 27. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now here it is. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Man, one of my favorite things that's been in this series is looking at the language that the Bible uses to describe the Bible. Like the implanted word, meaning inside you, in your heart, which, here it is, is able to save your souls. That's incredible, right? The implanted word. So here's something that happens. James says, receive this word. It's massively important. But then the very famous passage pops up where he says, no, no, no. There's a danger in receiving the word. And and I think a lot of us don't understand that. That's why James takes time to write it. It's not just, oh, yeah, receive the word. James goes, well, there's, there's actually something you need to know. When you receive the word, there's a danger. And the danger is this, is that you need not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. Now, that little dichotomy that James proposes, what we do when we read that is we think one or the other. But James says, you need not be hearers only but also doers. So it is hearing the word and doing the word. But I think we try to categorize it. And so here's something that I think is going to be really helpful. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to spend just a few minutes fleshing out by James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, created this sort of dichotomy. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this Um, Up and to the right is always good if you know a spreadsheet, right? But if you look at the graph, we have everything on a spectrum of of hearing the word, high hearing the word, or low hearing the word. But then at the same time, there is a high doing the word, and then there is a low doing the word. Now, some of us are going to fall into one of these categories, And maybe you even grew up with a certain category that has very much so affected the way that you come to the scriptures. For example, if we are high in doing the word, but low in hearing the word, that's what I call activist Christianity. Now, here's what I mean by that. There's always a cause. There's dig a well, feed this, do this. There's always, and listen, the Bible tells us to do that. That's why James is saying it's such a slippery slope on either side. But most of the time, what happens in activist Christianity is because the cause is so serious, you elevate the cause and you lower your convictions, and so we don't really need another Bible study. And we don't, I mean, sin, goodness gracious. I mean, we're just all broken, but people are starving. And so we got to go help them. And what, I mean, a standard for marriage and golly, man, the church has always argued over this stuff. All we need to do is just go love and we need to. And then the next thing you know, the cause is elevated over the core conviction. Or, or maybe you're the opposite right? Maybe you're high in hearing the word, right? It's all about the word, brother. And, and you've got, you got a John MacArthur study Bible, a Ryrie study Bible, a David Jeremiah, a Charles, Stan- everybody on the radio, everybody's got a study Bible. Right? I mean, you're just like the word, the word, but you're low in, in doing the word. That's what I like to call academic Christianity, That's a, we are going to sit in a room and we are going to parse out this Greek word and argue over this and you're going to go to school for seven years and then you're going to do this and you're going to do that and the next thing you know, there's an ivory tower that's been created and you have studied yourself away from the very people that Jesus Christ surrounded himself with. You see, Jesus gets at both of these categories. Jesus is telling Pharisees, have you read? These were the ones who memorized the Bible. But they weren't actively applying the word of God. And so he upset the Pharisees. And then Jesus is also surrounding himself with, with tax collectors and sinners and, and a woman caught in sexual sin. And, and she says, I'll go tell my husband. And Jesus is like, well, you got seven husbands. And she's like, Skirt, what? Right? Then he says things like this of a woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more you see the love that jesus had for people was the same love that drove him to be unapologetic as well so so jesus shatters both of these and then if you're low in doing the word and low in hearing the word that is apathetic christianity that's a club right? These churches have dinners after dinners after dinners after dinners after dinners. dinners, And then after that, they've got a luncheon. Okay. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a social thing at that point. We don't want to hear the word. We don't want to do the word. We want a potluck. That's what we want. Right. And really what we're striving for is to be high in hearing and high in doing. And that's what I would call authentic Christianity. And listen That's hard. That's really, really hard. But it's something to strive for because that's what God promises will change everything. You know, the verses that were read um, about building your house up on the rock, do you know the context of that? That Jesus sums up the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, literally, the greatest sermon ever preached. A lot of scholars believe that that was the sermon that he would preach as soon as he would come into town. Boom. I mean, that's it. The kingdom of God. It's the Beatitudes. It's everything, man. It's the sermon on the mount. And then he brings it to a close. Oh, just like any, the greatest teacher to ever live. And listen to the words that he says. Everyone then... Who hears these words of mine and does them? Listen, that's the difference. The sand and the rock and the house and all of that, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. By the way, I need to pause. This is taught poorly constantly. What's the rain? What's the flood? Because most of the time, it's when your financial problems, when the sickness, I mean, I believe that that could be applicable. That's not what he's talking about. Because the verses before that, he says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter heaven. The floods and the rain is the judgment of God. That's what it is. That there's a testing, as Peter says. And guess what? Judgment starts in the household of God. And Jesus says, listen, when when, when it all comes to an end and God sorts this thing out, there's a difference. There's a difference in those who have heard it and applied it. Because when you apply it, it will not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And then he goes on to say this, but... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. You see what James is doing? All James is doing is expounding on Jesus. Everyone who hears these words and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Listen, in Jewish culture, they did not look at um, wisdom, foolishness, and ignorance like we do. Nowadays, we think because we have all of this technology and a device in your pocket that can Google anything that I'm saying during my sermon, we think now we have arrived. And yet we do so many dumb things on our smartphones, okay, right? Listen, all we have is information. That's what we have. We lack wisdom greatly. Wisdom is the application of information. And, and so a Jewish understanding was wisdom is information applied, lived out. But the person who doesn't do that is foolish because when the judgment of God comes, the flood and the winds, and it beats against that house, and it fell. And then here, this is so haunting to me. And great was the fall of it. Why do you have to say that? Right? That scares me a little, Right? I think I understand now. Why is it a great fall? (laughs) Because you strived your whole life. And you were building a sandcastle. Everything. The motivation of every day was built on nothingness. And so listen, here's the big idea today. This is the whole series. We're, we're, We're leading here to this. And it's this. Listen, this equation, I believe, will forever change your life. I believe that it's true in every other area of your life as well. And it's this. Revelation plus application equals transformation. That's it. I didn't say information. Because we're talking about the things of God here. It's a revelation. God reveals himself to us. And there is no one in the scriptures who encounters the revelation of Jesus Christ and leaves the same. Now they might leave mad. They might leave sad. But no one leaves the same. Because the Bible has this presupposition and it's this. You cannot be indifferent to the person of Jesus Christ. You can't. But what makes all the difference is the revelation that God gives through his word. And by the way, when I say application, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking perfection. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, here's the phrase we like to use, stumble forward, (laughs) right? Hashtag the struggle is real, okay? Like we're trying to apply it, um, the forgiveness, the bitterness, the anger, the I'm, I'm working on it by God's grace. But listen, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. So listen, there's four quick questions that I want to run us through that are in the text. That really, guys, I want us to ask ourselves, are we hearers only? Are we hearers only? Or am I just Activist? Am I just like cause, 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 cause? Then I've like lowered, like I've fed people and I've dug a well, but I've never even shared the gospel with them. I've gave them physical needs, but their soul is still gonna die? Where, Where am I in this thing? What's the barometer? Well, the first thing that I see is this. Am I listening humbly? I love how James starts it. This is it. Know this. Um, By the way, um, the butter slides off my biscuit all the time. I don't don't get it right often. But I know when the Bible says, know this, just just suggestion. Might be something we want to focus on, okay? Know this. And then I love this tenderness. My beloved brothers and sisters, right? It's like, hey, hey, look up here. Love you. Right? You know, like my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. (sighs) Right? Should I just pray right now and close it out? I mean, goodness gracious. If there's ever um, anything for social media or anything like that, it's this verse. And then notice, why does anger follow? It's okay to ask questions. We've actually talked about this in meditation. You should ask questions. Now, remember, what's the context? The context is receiving the implanted word. But um, the Holy Spirit is revealing something to us, and it's this. Our problem when we receive the word is we're not quiet and listen. We tend to interrupt. And then when the word reveals something that's in contradiction to our life, We get defensive. You say, well, what do you mean? Uh, Be slow to anger. Why is that there? Why does that follow? Because as soon as we receive the implanted word, the word of God reveals the brokenness in us. And what do we do? We do not humbly receive, dear friends. No one lies to you more than you do. We justify and we become defensive in that sense. And James is saying, brothers and sisters, listen, be patient I love the age old saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? So be patient, humbly receive it. Literally in the original translation, it's this, hurry up and listen. It's like, shut your mouth when you're talking to me, right? Hurry, hurry up and listen. Um, I, listen, I come, I come from four boys in our family. Um, my dad preached. And, and so at the dinner table you only got your time and your story across if you interrupted faster and told your story louder. And, and, and like, I thought that was normal, right? And then, you know, I get married and I'm like, I am such an interrupter. I mean, like, and I, I do it all the time still. Like, I'm excited, but I'm not patient to listen because it's really about me. But you know what I'm saying, right? Um, I'm not, I, I interrupt. And, and do you know what James is saying here? Like, we would never say this, but he's saying it. We interrupt God. <laughs> like, like, how often is God speaking to us, and buddy, we kick in, you know, we're in the Bible reading, as, you know, forgive others as God and Christ has, for, well, but, you, but what they did to me was, well, God, you know that the, and it, well, there was more coming. There's always more coming, right? Um, listen. There's a profound difference in listening to respond and listening to receive. Those are two totally different things. And I think oftentimes in church, James is saying, know this, my brothers and sisters. Be aware that there's a profound difference in listening to God in order to respond and listening to God to receive. So, am i humbly am i listening humbly number 2 it's this am i learning carefully am i learning carefully pick it up in verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only here it is deceiving yourselves well why did he say that Like, I thought hearing, like, yep, pastor, I thought we had the Dwell Bible app, and the whole thing was like, it'll read. I mean, you know, Zach was like, I put it in my car, my kids listen to it, and like, now James is saying, like, well, don't just hear it, because if you just hear it, you're gonna deceive yourself. What does that mean? Glad you asked, keep reading, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, man, this is a good illustration. It's like a man who looks intently, at his natural face in a mirror where he looks at himself and then he goes away at once and forgets what he's like. Um, James is saying that the word of God is is like a mirror. And and listen, man, I think this is a word for somebody. The word of God is not just a mirror that shows our faults, okay? Okay? Yeah, that's true. The, the law and everything reveals our brokenness. But listen, the law is like an x-ray machine. The x-ray machine doesn't fix the broken bone. So if you stop there, this is only condemnation to you. And that's all it's ever been. The mirror of God's word is not just the brokenness that you see. The mirror of God's word is who you were created to be. And when we start reading the Bible like that, things change. But James says, no, the foolish man forgets it and and walks away. And it's deceit, man, deceiving himself. What's that? Lying. Lying to himself. Well, what's the lying? The lying is the conduct in my life is justifiable. And I can say, well, I'm still reading the word. I'm still doing this. But there is no connection in conviction in heart in that lifestyle. And listen, the justification and the deceiving can become so great that it looks like this. In April of 1962, a country church did a community meeting in which they showed their solidarity to cowards that walk around in bed sheets while slapping a banner that says, Jesus saves. Please listen to me. That is an abomination that comes from hell. That has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ finds that damnable. But this is how you deceive yourself. And we would say, well, never. That is such an extreme. Is it? How quickly. Listen, here's what James is really saying. Are you ready for that? I don't even want to look at that. Get that off. Here's what James is saying. There's a responsibility when you hear it. There's no excuse now. And I believe us in the West will be judged greater than any other time in history. Because of the 3 to 4 Bibles in the home, all getting be able to access to God's word, there is now a responsibility are we learning carefully slowly applying. That's why I have a problem with like my, like listen, I'm probably in trouble with this. That's fine. Um, That's why I have a problem with like my generation, like Sadie Robertson, like she has like a marriage podcast. You've been married for six seconds. (laughs) Like what, like what, what do you have to say about it? Right? Sometimes there's years of being quiet. And learning. And I've really come to know this. Why does the Bible talk about suffering so much? Because you thought you knew it until God dropped you in the lion's den. Until that doctor called and said, It looks like this. And then you really understood what not my will but thine be done. You see, experience, that's what God wants. So, listen, as the big idea is a very important equation, the true is the inverse. That revelation minus application will always equal devastation. It will destroy everything because it's the only solution that we have, but we've used the very solution to justify what we want to do. Am I listening humbly? Am I learning carefully? And here's the difference. Am I laboring consistently? Oh man, this is so good. I about fell out of my chair this week, right? So what's the difference? Oh, don't miss this. What's the difference, right? Because I even looked up the Greek words, guys. I was like, oh, it's look, right? Because look at what the wise man does. But the one who looks into the perfect law, and I was like, look, Maybe there's the difference in look. Maybe the foolish man, the word for look is a different Greek word. And like maybe the the wise guy spends a lot more time. Nope, same word. I'm like, well, then what is it? What's the difference? But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, by the way, law of liberty, we talked about this. Freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. That's actually slavery. That's called being lost. No one, like go interview someone who's lost and say, how does freedom feel? i will be like, freedom? I don't even know where I'm at, right? So free, the, the lie that the world is telling you is that no laws is actually freedom. No, 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 that's chaos. That's a different form of, a form of slavery is what that is. The law of liberty, here it is, and perseveres. Remember, the foolish man looks into the mirror and then goes away quickly and forgets. So then I did this. I was like, perseveres. That's a big word. I should probably look that up and see what it means. And this is when I almost fell out of my chair. The word perseveres means to abide or dwell. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> I was just like studying the Bible and it happened. I was like, woo, right, we're teaching right stuff. This is great, right? That's the difference. Listen, listen. The difference is not applying it perfectly. The difference is applying it consistently. There's a huge difference there. It doesn't mean that you live up to the standards every single day. It means, as we've been talking about in West Side Men, that you do the next right thing. It's just the next right thing. It's not perfect, but I'm stumbling forward. That's what makes all the difference. Listen, dwelling in God's word is what makes all the difference. Spending time slowing down, persevering. Am I laboring consistently? And then the last one is this Am I living authentically? Am I living authentically? Drop down and look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's, he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Can I say something here? There's like a real new thing, and, and I've even said it, and it's appropriate in certain contexts. The word religion's not a dirty word. The Bible, I mean, right here says like pure and undefiled religion. The word "religion" is where we get the word "rule from" and then translated through the Greek and Latin. Do you know how similar it is to the word "worship? It's like the same etymology. And so it's, it's not a negative connotation. there's a positive to it, and it says that this person's religion is worthless. Verse 27, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Woo, We better like lean forward, like God saying, "This is what I want, right? To visit orphans and widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Wow. The letter of the law is true in that. But what James also does is James puts it in three categories. Like at face value, visit widows and orphans, bridle your tongue, and be unstained from the world. That's great. You should do all of that. But there's also a bigger picture that James is communicating. And look at the three categories. Speech, service, and separation from the world. Speech are words because the word of God affects our words to God and to others Service, notice that it says to visit them in their affliction. Because when you become a student of the word who has revelation plus application, and then you know that there's transformation, but you also know what it is to be afflicted and to suffer. And so when you see someone else going through that, you don't see a non human or a community project, you see a bit of yourself. You see yourself in that. I love what our speaker said at Summit. He said, there is no such thing as differences. Nope. There's no such thing as differences. There is only a rejection of sameness. There's no differences. You refuse to see yourself in somebody. That's all it is. And then to be separated from the world. Here's a news flash. Christians live differently. We live differently. And so, as we close, I really wanted to have some application questions to really drive us to this point as the band comes and leads us in a time of response. Guys, this is is it. This is, it's like the ball's in your court. This isn't the end of a series. This isn't the end of a series. This is giving you the ball, and it's beginning your journey of discipleship. For many of you, the journey starts now. Um, The first question is this. Do I study God's word only to find permission for what I want to do? Right? It doesn't happen as much with adults anymore because we try to, like, use a bunch of language. But when I was a youth pastor, this happened all the time. It was like, what does the Bible really say about sex? And what does it really say about, so what really is right and all of that stuff you're deceiving yourself you are not listening you are not receiving you were only listening to respond and combat Um, the second one is this do I seek out other opinions until I find the one that I like hey look up here real quick as your pastor I can teach, anybody from this pulpit can teach anything, and, and you can take this to the bank. You can find a blog on the internet that will agree with the opposite point of view, anywhere you want. I mean, you can scour You will find an opposing view to the truth if that's what you really want. But then the last question is this, and this is really where I want to end this thing. Um, what act of obedience is God calling you to now? Now. Because the need that we have doesn't go away when we dive and dwell in God's word. If anything, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer what our response is. Do you know um, what I dream of someday? I'll just let you in on a little dream that I have on mine I have a dream someday that that one of you like aren't gonna be here on a Sunday and I don't mean it like that okay listen I'm gonna tell the rest of the story okay like like you're not here right and I check up on you and I'm like hey what's going on where were you we at well I'll just read it to you Matthew 5 23 through 24 so if you're offering your gift at the altar And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, on the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Hey, where were you? You know, I came in to worship this morning and I realized that I had a standing conflict with so-and-so. Man, I just felt such a sweet conviction over the Spirit that I thought, that's what God has for me right now. I need to to move that direction. That is hearing the Word and doing the Word. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said. The only way that a Christian should read their Bible is bowed down on their knees, asking God, where do I go? The ball's in your court. Father God, we come before you today so grateful for your word, grateful that you have not left us as orphans, as your word says, Jesus. But rather, your spirit has come, dwells inside of us, reveals to us the brokenness, but doesn't leave us there, also leads us to the restoration God, I pray that this series would be a watershed moment in the history of the life of Westside. That we become people of the word, people of the book, that we walk in the word, that when a cultural um, thing happens, that we ask ourselves, what does God's word say about that? And we go to you first and that we're saturated with it, but that it doesn't just stop there. That we would live that word out. Oh God, that we would be a people who know not just to quote the Lord's prayer, but to know what it is to forgive those who trespass against us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this place. Transform us through your word that is able to save our souls. We pray this in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.